humankind has built some truly amazing machines. From the Saturn V to the Space Shuttle to nuclear submarines and aircraft carriers, engineers continually push the bounds of what is done with mere matter. There is one example, however, that flies above the rest. Welcome to Concorde. Concorde was a British-French turbojet-powered supersonic passenger jet airliner it's a mouthful, that operated until 2003. It had a maximum speed of over twice the speed of sound at Mach 2.04, that is 1,354 miles an hour, or 2,180 kilometers an hour at cruise altitude. It was seating for 92 to 128 passengers, depending on configuration. Concorde entered service way back in 1976 and continued flying for the next 27 years. The plane and project was retired in 2003 after the crash of Air, Fra- of Air France Flight 4590, in which all passengers and crew were killed. But let's go back to the beginning. In the early 1950s, Arnold Hall, director of the Royal Aircraft Establishment, the RAE, asked engineer Marion Morgan to form a committee to study supersonic transport. Now at the time, it was believed that the drag created at supersonic speeds was strongly related to the span of the wing. This led to the short, very thin wings found on missiles and supersonic aircraft that were in service at the time. I like the way that you say missiles. Missiles. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Missiles very British. Mm -hmm. Wings with this design, however, produced very little lift at low speeds. So takeoff and high landing speeds were required, in addition to just massive amounts of engine power to create lift. The RAE began looking at delta wings. This design used triangular-shaped wings, which greatly increased the surface area and therefore generated better lift. This research led to the Supersonic Transport Advisory Committee, whose explicit goal was to develop a supersonic aircraft designed for transporting large numbers of people. After testing several ideas, the group came up with two basic designs. The first was an aircraft designed to carry out transatlantic flights at Mach 2, or twice the speed of sound. This craft could be capable of carrying up to 150 passengers. The second design was a shorter-range version that would fly around Mach 1.2 with 100 people on board. At the same time this work was going on in Britain, the French government was backing its own projects in the same field. These designs closely aligned the work of the British crews, so the countries began working together. That's nice. It became clear that there wasn't a huge commercial demand for the smaller of the two designs, so just the larger aircraft would become a reality. By 1965, two prototypes were under construction, the first in Toulouse, France, and the second in Bristol, England. The French-built plane, named Concorde 1, made its first flight in March 1969 and went supersonic for the first time in October of the same year. The British team first flew a month later in April 1969. Uh, I'm just going to assume that everyone wanted to be extra careful and make sure it was super perfect. That was why (laughs) we were second to the French. Slackers. Mm -hmm. Both planes appeared at the Paris Air Show in June 1969. By September 1971, Concorde 1 was far enough into testing to be flown to the United States as part of a sales and demonstration tour. Those bums from England followed in June 1972 with a tour to the Middle East and Eastern Asia. Concorde 2, the British-built plane, made its first visit to the U.S. in 1973, landing at Dallas-Fort Worth to mark the opening of the new airport. 
Initial orders were strong, but after a competing supersonic transport plane from the Soviet Union crashed at the 1973 Paris Air Show, the Concorde project faced many cancelled orders. Ultimately, only Air France and British Airways would order Concords, with each airline's home government taking a cut of the profit of each sale. While subsonic commercial jets took eight hours to fly from New York to Paris, the average supersonic flight time on transatlantic routes was just three and a half. Because it operated at such extreme speeds, the Concorde brought many new innovations with it into the world. It was powered by four Rolls-Royce turbojets, fitted with afterburners. Now, these turbojets are highly inefficient and low speeds, so Concorde burned two tons of fuel, almost 2% of the maximum load, just taxing to the runway. <laughs> they really should have just, like, put it on a truck or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I feel like the, the, there is, was a solution to that problem, which they never really bothered exploring (laughs) (laughs) air compression created massive heat during flight concord went through two cycles of heating and cooling during a flight first cooling down as it gained altitude then heating up after going supersonic the reverse happened when descending and slowing down to combat this engineers used a special aluminum alloy on the nose of the plane additionally this heat caused the fuselage to expand by as much as 300 millimeters almost a foot to keep the cabin and hydraulic systems cool concord used the fuel as a heat sink. However, many passengers would note that windows and panels in the cabin were warm to the touch by the end of a long flight. Concorde's high cruising altitude meant that passengers received almost twice the flux of extraterrestrial ionizing radiation as those traveling on a conventional long-haul flight. However, as these flights were shorter than those taken by conventional crafts, it wasn't thought to be an issue unless unusual solar activity was taking place. To prevent incidents of excessive radiation exposure, the flight deck came equipped with a radiometer. To keep the aircraft light and streamlined... The fuselage was narrow and small. It allowed for only four seats per row with limited headroom. The Concorde included one hallmark external design feature, its drooped nose. When the aircraft were in service, the pilot would lower the nose cone to improve visibility of the runway on the runway and in taxiways. When in flight, the nose would be raised. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. If you have the need to send your invoices at the speed of sound... FreshBooks will help you. With their awesome tools, you'll be able to get your invoices on their merry way in just 30 seconds. And the return trip will be just as fast too as FreshBooks customers get paid four days faster on average. FreshBooks is built around helping you see how your business is doing. Every time you log in, you're given the updates that you need so you can get back to doing what you have to do. With tons of integrations and amazing support, FreshBooks is the service that you need to help you get paid. To find out more, go to freshbooks.com slash ungenius and claim a 30-day free trial and enter ungenius in the how you heard about us section so they know that you came to them from this show. Thanks again to FreshBooks for their support of Ungenius and Relay FM. Now when you think about aircraft, you think about hundreds of vehicles, thousands of vehicles being built. However, in total, only 14 production Concorde were ever built. Scheduled flights began in January 1976 between London, Bahrain, Paris, and Rio de Janeiro. After receiving special permission by the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, a man named William Coleman, Air France and British Airways simultaneously began service to Dulles, everyone's favorite airport, on May 24, 1976. 
Coleman had to do this as the U.S. Congress had banned Concord landings in the U.S. due to citizen protest over sonic booms. The Supreme Court then allowed landings in October of 1977. From 1978 until 1982, Air France flew twice weekly to Mexico City via Washington, D.C. and New York. The route included a period of deceleration from Mach 2.02 to Mach 0.95 to cross Florida subsonically and avoid creating a sonic boom over the state. By around 1981 in the UK, the future for Concorde looked bleak. The British government had lost money operating Concorde every year, so British Airways bought the aircraft outright and took the stake that the government had in it. British Airways was able to then raise ticket prices and run the plane at a profit. Sounds like some real good uh, government budget work there. (laughs) So things were quiet for Concorde between the early 80s and July 25th, 2000, when Air... when Air France Flight 4590 crashed after takeoff from Paris. The aircraft ran over some debris that came off of another plane that was on the runway, a DC-10. This was left on the runway during its takeoff. So when Concorde approached it, it blew out a tire and punctured a fuel tank as it ran over this debris. This then led to a fire and then subsequent engine failure of Concorde. During the investigation, it came to light that Flight 4590 was 810 kilograms uh, over its maximum structural weight for the plane. The tire blowout sent around 4.5 kilograms worth of tire rubber into the bottom of the wing at around 310 miles an hour. Jeez, man. This did not directly puncture any of the fuel tanks, but the pressure shockwave it caused ruptured one of them. Leaking fuel gushed out from the bottom of the wing and was most likely ignited by an electric arc in the landing gear bay or through contact with hot parts of the engines. Flames were visible before takeoff, but it was too late for the pilot to abort. The plane took off, but was unable to gain speed, being down an engine and having its rear landing gear stuck down. Due to the damage to the underside of the plane, it was basically stuck in place. The fire ate away at one of the wings, and the aircraft crashed into a nearby hotel. All 100 people aboard the plane were killed, as were four hotel employees. However, this has not been the first time that the Concorde had suffered a tire blowout. Over its lifespan, there were seven cases of serious damage due to tire and wheel-related incidents, all of which could have been catastrophic, as Flight 4590 was. While it was the only fatal Concorde accident during its 27-year operational history, this really marked the beginning of the end for the aircraft. The remaining Concorde were modified, Kevlar lining was added to the fuel tanks, and burst-resistant tires were developed. However, just before its return to flight, the attacks of September 11th took place, marking a worldwide drop in air travel. Air France stopped flights in May of 2003, while British Airways ended its Concorde flights in October of 2003. But that's not the end of the story. In 2005, French authorities began a criminal investigation of Continental Airlines, whose plane was responsible for dropping the debris on the runway, which caused the July 2000 accident. In March of 2008, a French judge was asked to bring manslaughter charges against Continental Airlines and two of its employees who were responsible for replacing the strip of metal that later would fall off the DC-10, causing the crash. At the same time, charges were brought against Henri Perrier, head of the Concorde program, and Jacques Erubel, Concorde's chief engineer, and Claude Franson, head of France's airline head of France's airline regulatory body. 
It was alleged that the three had known the plane's fuel tanks were susceptible to damage from strikes by foreign objects, but allowed them to fly anyway. In December 2010, the trial ended. Continental Airlines was found criminally responsible for the accident and was fined $271,000 and ordered to pay Air France $1 million. The airline's mechanic was given a 15-month suspended sentence while the officials were cleared of all charges. However, in 2012, a French appeals court overturned the verdicts. The impact the Concorde had on the world is still felt. It still holds the record for the fastest transatlantic flight from JFK to Heathrow. In 1996, a British Airways Concorde did it in just two hours, 52 minutes and 59 seconds. Take off to touchdown. It's crazy. So you just flew from London to New York. How long did it take you? Do you know? Eight. Good grief. On February 13th, 1985, a Concorde charter flight flew from London to Sydney in a record time of 17 hours, 3 minutes, and 45 seconds. That includes refueling stops. It's crazy fast. On its way to its final resting place in November of 2003, a Concorde set a New York City to Seattle speed record of 3 hours, 55 minutes, and 12 seconds. Mike, we picked this topic because you really love it. I have never flown in a Concorde. But I have walked through one, uh, one of the BA ones, which is in uh, a museum in England. And very recently on the trip where you mentioned that I flew uh, over to the States, I got the chance to admire one, um, one of the French models, the Air France models uh, in Washington. So, Because yeah, I grew up in the era of the Concorde. I was born in 1988. Like I was a child when Concorde was flying. And where I lived in London, you would hear it. You'd hear it going overhead. Like the sound that Concorde made was unmistakable. So you may hear it breaking the sound barrier, um, or you may just hear it's unmistakable loud rumble overhead that it would make. It was loud, right? Because of the speed that it was going at. And just, you know, I would remember as a kid, you would hear this sound and like people would turn to each other and just say Concorde. Like it was just a thing that we knew that we shared. Um, And I am kind of excited to learn that there are efforts to reignite supersonic flight. So there is a company called Boom who are creating a new supersonic jet. And Virgin Galactic have ordered the first 10 of these models to fly transatlantically. Um, Also, Boeing and Lockheed Martin are developing their own supersonic craft. And then also in September of 2015, an organization called Club Concorde was announced. They have raised £160 million to return an existing Concorde back to service. Uh, They're looking to purchase the model that is currently on display at Le Bourget Airport with a plan of putting it back into the air in 2019. However, there is belief that it would be incredibly difficult to overcome the technical hurdles of restoring this decades-old plane with parts that don't exist anymore that would all have to be remade. This is actually, we, we didn't mention this, but like one of the reasons that Concorde went away when it did was that they were starting to run out of parts to replace the things that were breaking. Gotcha. Because they would be taking parts from the old Concords, but then they kind of did all of that, and there was no way of making them cost-effectively. So they Club Concord would have to do all of this work, but also there is belief that regulators will just not allow it to fly. Yeah, I, I would think that would be the biggest hurdle, honestly. Yeah. But no matter what happens, it does look like within the next 10 years, I may have the opportunity of living out a dream of mine, which is to fly faster than the speed of sound. It would make visiting each other much quicker. 
See, much easier. Because the thing, like um, Concorde flights, they cost about ten thousand pounds. Wow, um, they were incredibly expensive. They were considered the the height of luxury, and they had to be that expensive because, as we said, like they were very very expensive to run. But these new ones, like this this company Boom, they're saying that they you could get a trip for about twenty five hundred each way, which is still very expensive, but not completely outside of the realm of possibility for most people. Like you could save and do it. Um, so I'm very excited about the prospect of being able to fly. Uh, over to New York in three hours. Feels like the space age. I think I guess why I love this story so much is that even though this was started back really in the 50s but flew in the 70s, it still feels like the future today, you know, 40 years later. Well, it's it's incredible that like, we have nothing that can do this now, but we were doing it in the 80s. But nothing can do it now. And, and that's kind of incredible. If you want to learn more about this subject, we have some links in the show notes. Uh, this week, you can find them at relay.fm slash ungeniust slash 17. You can get in touch with us there via email, or of course, you can find us on Twitter. The show is at ungeniust. Mike is I-M-Y-K-E, and you can find me there as I-S-M-H. And until our next weird article, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.